Welcome to Is This Working? The tools we use to work have changed drastically, but how we work hasn't. In this podcast, we explore how we can make work work better for us. We're your hosts, me, Anna Codrado, and me, Tiffany Philippou. Each week, we challenge conventional views about work by taking on topics like mental health, productivity, office culture, and even what the modern way of working means for our relationships. This isn't about the future of work. This is about what's happening in work right now. Before we get into this week's episode, let's talk about feedback we've had from last week's episode. Tiffany, has anyone been in touch with you? Yes, our friend Fran, hi Fran, (laughs) said that it's interesting that it's only when someone has experienced success do they feel comfortable and safe in talking about failure, um, which I think is a really, really interesting point and it got me thinking. Uh, I actually think there's kind of two answers for this I on the one at first I thought oh we should actually let people talk about failure when they're still in failure if that makes sense Mm. or when something good doesn't come of it but then I've been thinking about it more and actually I think that it's almost impossible for some sort of successful story or learning not to come from your greatest failures definitely I think it's about how do we reframe our own experiences and how do we reclaim our narratives on our journey towards greater success and please do keep sharing your feedback with us let us know what you liked or what resonated from our episode and please rate review subscribe and all that jazz thank you on to this week's episode let's start with your story tell us why you ditched the nine to five well I didn't so much ditch the nine to five as I was (laughs) pushed out of the nine to five um I got made redundant as I'm sure I have spoken a lot about before in the past but that is the reason why I went freelance um so I don't think I would necessarily say I was forced into it because obviously when I lost my job I then then did make the choice to go freelance But because it was all a very sudden decision, I wasn't really exactly sure what was going to happen. And I didn't set out with this plan to freelance for the rest of my career. Um, However, what I found is that pretty quickly, um, freelancing worked out really, really well for me. And I found myself getting opportunities that I didn't think would come as quickly as they did in my career. So for example, I started writing for... Um, much bigger publications and getting bylines in places that I thought would take a lot more time for me to to land those opportunities and also in kind of another big thing to mention is throughout my journalism career up until the point I went freelance I was editing and I really really wanted to be writing full-time and I had often been turned down for internal roles doing that and I wasn't really finding a place where I could do that in a uh, sort of traditional job capacity but when I went freelance I made it my I guess my mission to try and make 
all of my income and sort of the main thrust of my career to be writing, which I ended up being able to do. And what was really interesting is I, I thought it was just me that, oh, you know, actually freelancing is really empowering. It has been kind of really helping me progress in my career. I finally feel fulfilled and all of these things. And interestingly, the more women and female freelancers I spoke to, the more I realized that it wasn't just me, that other women were relaying quite a similar experience that freelancing and not working in a traditional job can be a lot more empowering and a lot more fulfilling and um, and in some cases also a lot more lucrative. What I want to just quickly interject to say is this episode we really want to talk about what we can learn from freelancing about what's wrong with office culture. Mm. So this isn't simply everyone go freelance and this isn't just a episode for freelancers. So what we're going to do is take your story and see what it means about work culture. So I want to start with asking, did you ever realize or feel like office culture didn't suit you when you were there? Definitely. I really felt like the only way I can describe it is that I was allergic to offices. And what I mean by that is I know everyone hates commuting, but I... I really struggle to commute. I don't know if it's because I've got mild claustrophobia or what it might be, but getting actually getting into the office, I found really, really difficult. Um, and then when I was there, I was always too cold. And I was always that person who had a massive shawl wrapped around them, who just looked really unprofessional and was kind of sat in the middle of summer underneath a giant coat looking like an idiot. Uh, not to mention I'm really introverted. So spending all day with people who you don't actually really know that well, and you haven't chosen to um you know you don't choose your colleagues I found that really really draining um I sort of I get my energy from myself and uh, when I'm in an environment where there are lots of sort of external external stimulus whether that's people or sort of noises or whatever that just saps the energy out of me um and it's really interesting because I think you've actually recently commented on how you think I'm more extroverted since I've gone freelance, but I actually think it's more to do with the fact that it's because I just conserve my energy better. Um, but anyway, yes, I definitely feel like offices didn't suit me, but I really internalized all of this. And I thought the problem was me that I was being, I was just being basically being a snowflake and that, um, you know, the problem, yeah, the problem was me, not that actually maybe offices aren't suited for everyone. Yeah, it's interesting because actually offices, there are lots of people like you who are introverts. There are lots of people who suffer from things like claustrophobia. It's quite a serious, um, I don't know if it can be, is it classified as a mental health thing? I'm not sure. I think it, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely I think comes it's like anxiety, yeah. but whatever it is, you've kind of, you've painted a picture of a mix of things that aren't actually just you. There must be a huge swathe of people that have those things. So I think the question is that, offices clearly seem to be designed for one type of person or situation that that person's in and that's obviously why more and more people might be turning away from it because people aren't all the same yeah exactly and I think the problem is that we have internalized this idea that work is so important and such a big part of our lives and then we've sort of attached the office to that idea as well and if you feel like you can't thrive in the office you feel like you can't thrive at work and actually those are two quite separate things yes and I think the other thing as well is we, I, we could definitely talk about the way extroversion is over, is overvalued above introversion mm. in office culture but what I found 
and want to focus on today is around sexism or discrimination in the workplace as well. So your Refinery29 article called The Real Reason More Women Are Going Freelance, which we will talk more about in this next segment. But you start it in this really in this way that I found extremely relatable when you talk about you walk into the office, you're asked to smile. Can you just tell me a bit more about your experience of that sort of thing in the workplace? Yeah, definitely. So I have never been explicitly discriminated against in any work situation because I'm a woman. However, I have experienced all sorts of, well, quite frankly, microaggressions, um, which have happened throughout my working life more so I think in offices just because (laughs) just because I'm physically around more men I guess um but some you know examples are I would go to work every day and there was a security guard who sat on the front desk you couldn't avoid walking past him and his job was to guard the door um and he would tell me and pretty much all the women to smile every day and that might sound quite innocuous but I think we all are now aware that men telling women to smile is (sighs) It, it is sexist because it's essentially saying you are a woman and your job is to kind of be exuding happiness and positivity and you know you need to be smiling to make me feel better so there's that there was that so you're literally starting your day as you enter the office being reminded of your inferiority your place in the world well yeah exactly exactly and also then then there's the emotional labor that goes into it as well where you know you you're not going you can't call the you can't say i mean you could maybe i should have done this but i was a lot younger then i definitely didn't feel comfortable saying could you please not say that to me um you just have to kind of awkwardly smile and shuffle along um and then, you know, in terms of other sort of experiences of um, sort of sexism on the on smaller scale are um, I'd apl- I've applied for jobs that I got turned down for and a man got, I will never know, like the reason, the real reason for that. Um, and as petty as it might sound, but being cold in the office, there have been a number of studies and articles that have come out recently that say that is because the thermostats are typically set to... Uh, temperature that is more comfortable for men than women women's bodies are just a different have a different internal temperature and most thermostats in most public buildings and in most offices are set to a temperature that men find more comfortable and if you don't believe me on that next time you're in an office take a look around you and see who is in the jumpers and the scarves is it the men or the women I've never worked in the media tell me how male dominated is that office space it's it is very male dominated at the top, I would say. I don't have the gender pay gap numbers off the top of my head, but the media has a really big gender pay gap issue. We can link to um, any articles I can find on that in the show notes. But there is a really big divide and it's definitely more at the top. So there are a lot more male editors than there are female editors. Um, and by that, I mean sort of big editors, editors in chiefs and sort of people actually running the show. Um, and the other thing sort of to bear in mind with something like how the other thing to bear in mind with journalism and the sexism is something that I saw in a couple of newsrooms that I've worked in things like there would be an assumption that the male reporters would get to go and cover things like protests or anything that was more quote unquote dangerous. And it would be the female reporters who typically would gravitate more towards 
culture stories, art stories, personal essays and all of that. Now, I think you can maybe kind of say, well, oh, that's just because that's what women want to write about. I don't think it's quite simple as that. I think it's I think it's the tone that's set and it's the sort of opportunities that are presented and who is being asked to do what and who and you know, which editors are asking which reporters to do what kind of coverage. So yeah, it definitely was a male dominated industry. That's not to say there are no women in it. Of course, there are lots of women in it. And I've, I've been managed by lots of female editors. Uh, But it's more about how there are, the big bosses are typically men and the impact that has and the sort of trickle down effect. At least we not forget that there was a time when women weren't allowed to go into offices. (laughs) So has freelancing solved all these work problems that we've spoken about? Categorically not. Um, I do not think that freelancing can or should be the solution to bigger, to sort of the, the big work culture problems we have across the board. For me personally, freelancing really suits my um lifestyle how I like to work what my you know my career ambitions all of that kind of stuff but it has come with huge sacrifices as well you you take on a whole new different type of problem when you become a freelancer you have to deal with the fact that um, your pay is completely irregular and it fluctuates you have to all of all of the benefits that you have as a employee you have to manage yourself so if you want a pension you're you know there's no one who's forcing you to put money into a pension scheme you have to you have to do that the maternity leave uh, benefits are completely lacking there are some but they are they pale in comparison to what you would get from a from a company and also from the government if you are an employee of a company. Um, and um, yeah, so it it hasn't kind of solved every problem. It's definitely, it definitely works for me, but I feel really uncomfortable when people kind of position freelancing as a solution to a negative work experience. That brings us nicely to the next segment where we're going to be asking, what does the rise in freelancing Tell us about work culture. Stay tuned. wrote this article work isn't working the real reason more women are going freelance for refinery 29 and I think what was really interesting about that is you weren't saying everyone needs to go freelance you were saying this is shining a light on the problems in our work culture today so tell me a bit more about that article and anything that surprised you as you did it and that sort of thing so yeah like I said previously when I first started freelancing I found that I was getting all of these opportunities and I was finding it so much more fulfilling than I had done um, when I'd been working for companies and at the beginning I thought this was just me and then a couple of months ago some statistics came out from the Association of Independent Professionals and the Self-Employed which is known as IPSI and it's a body that 
looks after the interests of freelancers and other self-employed individuals. And they did a big report and they found that there has been a rise in freelance and it's being driven by highly skilled female freelancers and working mothers. In fact, there's been a 63% rise in highly skilled uh, female freelancers and that's driven the overall boom in freelancing in the UK over the last 10 years. So I basically realized that this is just not, this isn't an issue that just affects me and it's not an issue that just affects journalism. This is actually happening across the board in self-employment. And we're now at a place where self-employment accounts for about 15% of the total UK workforce. So this pool of people is no longer sort of small and is insignificant. It's a part of the workforce that contributes a significant amount of money to the economy. And it's very interesting to me because I think what happens in the world of self-employment not only tells you something about those people, but it also shines a light and sort of reflects back onto what's happening across the board. What I think it comes down to is and I think it's important to make this distinction so people get we really get to the heart of what's happening I think on the one hand there's practical reasons like childcare mm. and things that affect women more than men though obviously a world where men take equal paternity leave would be would really help things and on the other side is that microaggression that you talked about mm. as well and that more subtle things that get at you in the workplace and they and that would apply to whether we're talking about race mental health gender like all these tiny microaggressions that are a bit less hard to put your finger on but also really impact your day-to-day definitely because all of the women I spoke to for the piece and just to kind of say here that I spoke to a lot more women than actually sort of I wrote ended up going into the article um just basically I, I could have essentially written a book on this um but the common thread is not one single one of those women said that you know, they've been explicitly discriminated against. It's just this feeling, this kind of niggling at the back of your mind that am I being treated this way because I'm a woman? And, you know, common things that so many of them said to me is, you know, um, the women who went freelance because they have families and babies pretty much said that as soon as they told their employer they were pregnant, everything kind of changed for them. But interestingly, it's not just women who have babies and kids um that turn to freelancing and I mean I can count myself in this I don't have children and yet I felt that I was being held back in my career and I I do feel like my gender plays a role in that and I, I think that's just it's just really interesting because the common thread that really came out of all of the reporting I did is around autonomy and women feeling like they don't actually have real autonomy over their schedule and how they want to work and you know we can talk about flexible working and all that but it's not just simple as oh I can't leave the office at 3 p.m to pick up my kids it runs a lot deeper than that yeah I think that's definitely true I mean I obviously come from a very male dominated working world as well which was startup land and again I have lots of different stories of this sort of microaggression I actually, should I read out my feedback? You should, you should. So (laughs) Tiffany, um, she shared this with me recently. She dug out some old feedback she had from one of those dreaded, what they call like 360. 360 reviews. So so I think I was about 24 and I got this review from three men and this is my 360 reviews, everyone inputs. And 
I think what a manager's supposed to do is to edit it or whatever. Mine just got copied and pasted right through. So this is stuff that people wrote down about me. And for some reason, I kept the piece of paper and I found it at home the other day. And I think I knew that the day would come when I <laughs> want to complain about this. But I, I, I'll just quickly just paraphrase. But one section was, enti- was titled, No Histrionics Ever. And then it says, she needs to act as the leader, not just the queen bee of her team. There are still times when the mask slips, must remain extremely humble in italics. The, I mean, language matters. You would not, I don't even know actually where to begin. Histrionics makes me think of the Victorian times <laughs> when women used to get smelling salts for being too, you know, having hysterical or whatever. Well, I mean, also this thing about, you know, the fact that you're referred to as a queen bee. I don't think if this were the other way around we would be reading out a piece of feedback about how a man was being told that he's the king of the lion pack and that's a bad thing so yeah I mean you're being silenced and your gender is being brought into this even if it's not direct that's the thing and, and reminding me to be humble again that's it that feels very targeted and I think of course I mean I was very young and I didn't have much management or experience and I'm sure there were many things that I needed to learn and ways I needed to learn and grow but what do you take with the feedback stop being queen bee yeah I mean what, <laughs> like, do, what, what do I do with that yeah what are you supposed to go and do with that I mean <laughs> <laughs> but I think but I mean we could talk about uh, this sort of thing all day I mean I was actually reflecting on the people who wrote this feedback and so why you know why are, why does this happen in the workplace? You, these men are liberal men, grew up in liberal places. If you ask them, are you a feminist? They'd say yes, and then at the same time they write down things like this. And this is probably about five six years ago. So the conversations moved on a little bit. In many ways, in politics, we're actually going as much backwards as forwards. So we definitely can't be complacent. But what's happening in the workplace that? this sort of microaggression is happening with such ease. Well, I mean, exactly. And the fact is that, you know, going back to the piece that I wrote, um, recently someone, you know, there was a really great thread on Twitter about um, why women, more women are going freelance. And it was in, it was in um, specific relation to female journalists. And I also will caveat, caveat all of this, that Twitter is by no means a reflection of the real world. And it's really just a place where journalists hang out. Nonetheless, this was a really, really great thread. And I think the things that came out of it are applicable to more industries than just the media. Um, I will link the thread in the show notes, but something that um, I saw somebody tweet, which I think relates directly to what you've just been saying about your feedback, was, here's my theory. Men are more likely to be able to succeed, be happy in the patriarchal, hierarchical structures that are still in place in traditional companies. It's literally designed for them. So of course they feel more at home in that kind of environment. Plus they get a lot more money. Um, I think that even if you are from a, as you describe, more liberal background. And even if you do describe yourself as a feminist, as a man, you still are operating in a patriarchal structure. And granted, one that you you yourself may not have designed, but that is the bigger structure that people are operating in. Yeah, I, I definitely believe that men are victims of the patriarchy too. And that's a separate conversation around masculinity and all these things. But saying that, 
the workplace in particular is where this feels like it's at its worst. Mm. And the fact that women are, because essentially the risk involved with freelancing and all these things about financial insecurity and women feel pushed out because the environment's very much designed and for men and there are men out there. So when I think about men about as a whole, I don't blame men of today so much. Mm. But when I think about those individuals <laughs> um, who said those things to me, I do blame them a bit actually because they are encouraging this in a more active way. Well, especially because those people by and large were in leadership roles at a company and that just sets the tone for the whole culture. So startup world is extremely male dominated and there's awful stats about how few female-led founder companies are. So it's not just the office, it's the whole industry is very male dominated and how it works is men go and ask men for more money. And that's why lots of femtech products haven't had the same investment in it in them because men don't understand women's problems and vice versa. But that all trickles down and the way that plays out is when you have the women in the startup office, usually in PR role or which was my role or PA role, um, suddenly they're the victims of that whole trickle down of a very patriarchal culture. And it really needs to change because it's we can't just have everyone freelancing, as I keep saying. Well, yeah, of course. And, and this is why when I talk about freelancing being a feminist issue, that what I mean by that is that yeah, it can be really empowering, but this just really shows us that work as a whole is failing women because for freelancing to be really fair, it needs to be a choice that women can make. They need to be able to choose whether freelancing would actually work for them and and it not have to be something that they they are either pushed into or feel like it is a last resort because they can't make it work in traditional employment be that because their company is not giving them the opportunities they need or not being flexible with their time so that they can go and spend it with their family or whatever it might be that's that's kind of the bottom line for me that this is really about about choice and how no one should be forced into any kind of situation that they don't want to be in and it and it also shouldn't be left on the women alone to change this we need all the men on board 100 percent is what we're actually talking about here, though, a diversity issue across the board? hundred um, percent. Not least because, you know, everything we've just been talking about up until this point, we've been talking about women going freelance. And yes, the stats do suggest that the rising freelance is being driven by women. And it suggests that um, there are more female freelancers. But of course, there are plenty of men who go freelance for various um, various reasons which can range from medical issues to um, mental health issues to also just basically not feeling like they fit into a workplace situation um, or an office situation but yeah one thing I also kind of wanted to um, touch on that I came across while I was researching the article um, but like I said could have written a whole book on this and was already about 2,000 words and my editor um wouldn't let me include any more things but I um, found some really interesting stats around how disability is another big reason that people are turning to self-employment so Ipsy again the self-employed body 
did some research and found that one in seven of the self-employed UK workforce are people with disabilities, which is a figure that has increased by 30% in the last five years. And the most common reason that the people surveyed gave for going self-employed is better work conditions. So again, it's this idea that if you don't fit the stereotypical mold of what an office worker should look like, you may find yourself seeking a different type of career path or a different type of way to work because it's just not catered to you. And that that's that's not just for that's not just the case for women, but for um, people with disabilities, um, people from any kind of minority or ethnic background. Yeah, you also had a study included where you said that researchers looked at why women and minorities were turning to entrepreneurship as a solution. Yeah, so that was really interesting because um, I included it in the piece, but there was, a, there was an article, there was a study from 2003, um, some researchers from New York University who looked at why women and minorities were turning to, well, they weren't, I guess they weren't looking necessarily at freelancing, but they were kind of looking at entrepreneurship. But um, in terms of um, that study, and I think sort of in terms of what we're talking about, I think these two things are pretty kind of correlated because also the sort of American definition of entrepreneurship, especially from 2003, pretty much basically means sort of running your own, running your own business in some capacity. Um, But anyway, essentially, this this piece of research looked at what the frustrations and discontent these people had in um, corporate life and how these were drivers for them to to leave the traditional workforce um and yeah like i said i couldn't go into it in super great detail but this didn't apply just to women this applied to minorities and i think something that was really interesting and really stuck with me from that study i'm going to just read out here is um is this statement the same stereotyped conceptions that plague women and minorities within the walls of corporate america exist outside of those walls as well but there is no question that when on one's own these problems seem more manageable and the solutions to them seem more under one's control than when stuck at the mercy of others in the corporate setting it says it all really and it's such a huge issue this one essentially the whole way that we work is broken and the fact that people are leaving full-time employment or being in an office is not a solution it is alarm bells for how urgently this needs to change yep exactly and i think now that we have proven that work culture is very broken i think we should talk about what we can do about it coming up in the next segment Okay, so we have established that work culture is broken and that not everyone can go freelance. So how can we fix work, Tiffany? It's a really easy answer. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm joking. Um, So there's that piece around helping your own situation and what you can do for yourself versus what you like to refer to the macro, so micro versus macro. Should we start with the bigger 
action. Yes, definitely. So yeah, I, in any kind of problem, I, well, any sort of really, really big problem, I kind of see it in two ways, one on the micro level and one on the macro. Um, so obviously the macro being, you know, what are the, what are the really big things that need to change? And part of that is also accepting that you as an individual cannot change these absolutely massive structures that are, um, well, maybe this is, I mean, it's not really, actually, it's not too strong to say this, but those massive structures that are in some way oppressing you. However, there are some things that you probably can do, um, especially if this is an issue that kind of really, really bothers you. So for example, taking some kind of collective action is a really, really good step. So that might mean joining a union if one is present in your company or workplace or starting those conversations to form a union. Um, also again, you know, depending how seriously you want to take this lobbying the relevant government departments. So in this case, you know, we're talking about the department for work and pensions, the small business commissioner, you know, people like that also taking the issue to your local MP. Um, but also on that kind of macro level, we're also talking about just becoming involved in the larger conversation. I mean, I would like to think that what we're doing on this podcast is in some way a step towards that. Just just the fact that we're kind of trying to talk about this and put it on a on some kind of platform is one positive step that we can make to just try and elevate the conversation. I love to like taking collective action. It's that combined responsibility we all have for change I've never been involved in a union or been very close to one because again startups don't have that sort of thing but what you can do is obviously talk to your colleagues gather people and again it's that I if I go back to that feedback scenario I was quite silenced and ashamed because I felt Mm. like oh I'm acting incorrectly and blah 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 but maybe if I'd have shown it to women I mean admittedly there weren't many female leaders around but if you can find safe trusted people who can say yeah maybe you I'm sure I did do things incorrectly and I'm sure I did need to grow but the language you've used that's used here is wrong and then we could go and explain it to people so there's definitely something in that collective action and not being silenced and not being shamed for being different whether again coming back to your story around your different personality type and not thinking oh, it's me. I'm the one that's wrong. It's like, no, no, work culture's wrong. We've told you that now. (laughs) And then collecting with your, and getting together with your, with like-minded people and, but also bringing men into the conversation as well. How how else can the people who are doing these things learn? Because we all need to learn and and grow. I think I've said that about eight times this episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, it is so true. This is, this is one big fat journey. Um, But then also thinking about um, thinking about the micro and how can you help your own immediate individual situation? Okay, Tiffany, if you're having a problem at work, what can you do as an individual to make it better? This is a really hard one because I think it comes under the question of when to quit. Yeah. So it's that question of what's going to change and what isn't going to change. So what do I have the power to change versus what I don't have the power to change? I think ultimately, if you are in a company where the leadership and the senior leaders are a certain way and aren't open to feedback or listening or learning, you probably don't have a choice. You mm. pro- you have to go. And if there is discrimination happening, yes, you can collectively try and fight it. 
but there's only so much you can realistically do and you have to look after yourself and your own mental health because the exhaustion of doing that and fighting it's a fight right is terrible so what what else can you do so I think it's working out when to quit what can I change and what can't I change and having the um, and being comfortable walking away because it's fine and and it also even if you can't put your finger on or name stuff with regards to those microaggressions and it doesn't feel quite that bad if you're sensing it and feeling it you're probably right and I think also that confidence as well oh yeah definitely and also you know out of every negative experience hopefully you can take something forward and learn from it in some capacity so if the solution if the solution that becomes clear to someone is to quit a job a that doesn't have to mean quit a job and go freelance that's quite extreme um i think there is a real key question that people need to ask themselves if they're considering freelancing and that is are you being pushed out of your job or are you being drawn towards freelancing because there's quite a distinction between the two and then related to that if you do realize that actually i'm being pushed out of this job and what I really want is just another job you can learn from all of the crap that's happened in the previous job and maybe when you go for your interviews you can sort of really start doing your due diligence and really kind of ask those questions that are going to sort of help you get a better sense of what the culture is like you can talk to current and former employees and also you can do all of this while you're still in your current job you don't have to quit your job and sort of put yourself in a vulnerable position Absolutely. And you can definitely, I think, be bold and ask and see how they react. So, and also with the feminist issue, just because there's a female leader doesn't necessarily mean that problem will be solved. Mm. I think you need to ask the bold questions. And if you have felt discriminated against, or say you're someone who really struggles with the commute, or say you're someone who needs to be at home sometime, don't be afraid. Like they're lucky to have you consider their them to go and work for them so just ask the questions how do you feel about this can I do this yeah so what kind of what kind of questions would you ask if you were someone who um let's say you didn't you you couldn't commute for whatever reason um what kind of question would you ask in an interview I would say what is your attitude to flexible working the reason I'm asking is because I have issues around commuting does anyone in your office do remote working? Is this something you're interested in thinking about or learning about? And try and get a sense of their attitude and mindset as well as the practical stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the way they're going to answer that question, especially if you're in a sort of face-to-face interview, I think will be really, really telling. Um, and also, I think the other thing just to think about more generally is all of this stuff is really, really, really hard. And you probably need to accept that difficult conversations have to happen um probably two very difficult conversations one with yourself to sort of figure out uh, what are the real prana problems here for me and then the second conversation the second difficult conversation is with the person who is causing those problems and with the you know with your manager or your boss's boss or whoever it might be so um i think it's really important like i said to just kind of appreciate the fact that this is difficult acknowledge it um i've thought of two more interview questions <laughs> one well one is um i would say i've always been told in my career that i'm very direct and aggressive what do you have to say about that oh my god that's great and the second one i'd say is what are your company values 
and what's your culture and then be for each value say give me an example where you've had to take a sacrifice to do that value that is those are some really I almost want to um send you off to go and be interviewed now so that you can ask those questions I should go and do uh interviews I think if they googled me though they'd know that I was up to something suspicious but no I think you as I said ask these questions because they're lucky to even have you there and again it's that confidence and I think that's where that collective action comes back or speaking to people and getting that confidence comes from and it will take such a long time to change these things but we've got to start somewhere Definitely. And I think that is probably a really good place to leave this episode. Good luck with anyone out there who is struggling with a work crisis. Um, You definitely can feel free to send it to us and we can try and help you solve it. Thank you. Have a good week. listening to is this working with your hosts anna cojo and tiffany Philippou. the show was produced by chris bannister please rate subscribe and share this episode if you enjoyed it it will help other people find it too we also want to hear from you because this podcast is all about how we can improve your working lives you can email us your existential work crises to is this working show at gmail.com and you can tweet us at is this underscore working you can also find us on our own socials i'm at anna cod and i'm at tiff philippu and philippu is spelled with a p <laughs> <laughs> um, anything that we referenced in today's show will be in the show notes thank you so much for listening thank you anna talking to you is the cure of all our work culture problems <laughs> Hi.